And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute and I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Lads and Powers. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Hello, I'm Scott Powers, and I'm with Mark Lazarus. Mark, hello. Uh, I have a proposal. I think that yes. for just this week only, we should turn this into a Mets podcast. I just said podcast like you did on the three takes <laughs> that we screwed up at the beginning. We turn this into nothing but about. Mets. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's been erased. We just talk about Max Scherzer and Starling Marte and all the false hope I have that's going to be just destroyed by August of next year. What's going on with Starling Castro? Or not Starling Castro, with uh, uh, Baez. Uh, the Mets are, Uncle Steve's got all the money in the world. He's already spent like a quarter of a billion dollars in the last 72 <laughs> hours. And apparently they're still very much in on Baez. Uh, I'm all. I mean, I'm here for it. The Mets played like a, a small market team for decades under the Will Pond. So, give me all the stars. I want to be the assholes of the league for once. I want to be the Yankees or the Dodgers that everybody hates for just buying a championship. That's my goal. Yeah, yeah. As a Cubs fan, it's it's all it's all bad over here. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to spend. Yeah, I don't know what they're. going to They're spend, in on bias too. He like Chicago. Yeah, they could have just paid him and kept him. And I, yeah, that I don't. I don't would have made more make sense. any sense. Yeah. Um. So the Blackhawks. Um, another team that, uh, yeah, I don't know there's how much similarity there is, but, uh, there's not really a great transition. Um, you were on the road trip, uh, so-so road trip They come home and played, uh, played well against the Blues, especially for two periods, come back yesterday, you know, King, Derek King says it's their best game of the season. Um, again, it's, it's lack of offense and, um, yeah, I feel like that's, I guess when we entered the season, like it, it didn't feel like this team was going to lack offense and, and that's exactly 
you know, defensively they've been better. Like some of the metrics are are better, and I, I feel like some of the players have improved as the season's gone along. But it's a team that even you know just giving up just two or one goal, like it's just it's still a question mark whether they're going to produce enough to to win a game. Well, yeah, it's funny because you know when we talked before the season, we were like, well, they'll score goals, but can they prevent goals? And you know that they got flurry, maybe they can prevent some goals, and because they'll definitely score some. And we talked to scouts at the beginning of the year, oh, they're going to score some goals. And first month of the season, Jeremy Colton pulled out the old Joel Quenville chestnut of, I'm not worried about our offense. Our offense will be there. Derek King, not worried about scoring. Well, it's time to worry about scoring. Yeah, you know now that the power play has completely dried up, it's just there's nothing. There's just no goals. I mean, you got basically Alex to bring it and. That's pretty much it. Patrick Kane hasn't scored much in a while. Taves hasn't scored all season. Kubalik hasn't scored in, what, 15, 16 games now? It's just not coming from anywhere. Like, Jujar Kara has as, like, as many goals as any prominent players do over the past month. Well, yeah, and, it's basically to bring it and Hagel, and then... And Hagel, I, I was, right. I, I, over the last... I think it was over the last 10 games I pulled up the stat last night. It was to bring it, Hagel, and Kara and Seth Jones who combined for like 14 of their 18 goals or something like it was the num- the numbers are just like the staggering like yeah, struggled the, and then they, they have seven regulation goals in their last five games yeah I mean it's 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 they're they're playing pretty well defensively you look at their last especially the last what four periods I mean they've locked it down they've gone to this like hyper conservative you know that's what Derek King has really brought to them like the, let's muck up the neutral zone let's sag in the defensive zone they're working a little harder they're playing really strong defensively which is not a thing we expected to say about these guys but they can't score which is also a thing we were not expecting to say about these guys i i don't know if it improves either you know like i i i, I just i don't see it like it, it you would think eventually the power play maybe it gets going and i can't mention tyler johnson being out but i, I don't know how much tyler johnson god if tyler it. johnson's the missing piece then you're in trouble no offense to tyler johnson and I mean, I, I, you, you'd think just mathematically speaking, for sure, yeah, there's yeah. going to be some regression to the mean. Jonathan Taves is going to score a hockey goal again. He scored the other night yeah. against St. Louis, and then or the other day, and then it was taken away by an offside. Uh, Dominic Kubalik is going to catch fire again, and when he scores, he usually scores in bunches. Patrick Kane is going to score goals again, um, but you know. At when is it going to be like in January when the season's like really too late? I mean, it's already pretty much too late. There's 61 games left in the season. They got to make some moves now. They have to win games now. They really need to win games like that San Jose, a winnable game that they played well in yeah. and had more chances and had more opportunities. And they didn't score. They didn't win. And it's not like they really got goalied in that game either. They just they're just not burying anything. So they need to put a hot streak together if they want to have any hope. Like, look, I know that everyone is going to laugh at me for even suggesting the idea of making the playoffs, but in that room, they think they have enough time. They believe they have enough time to make a run and make the playoffs. And stranger things have happened than a team going on like an eight-game win streak, especially with the goaltending the Blackhawks have. But they have to score. You can't win every game one nothing. You can't win every game 2-1. to one. They have to eventually be able to score three, four, five goals in a game. And right now, this does not look like a team that's capable of that. Yeah, it feels like the window is here. Like, this is the month if you're going to, you know, like we've... the, the, the um, American thanks U.S. Thanksgiving is usually the the key date, but you know we've. Seen- Do we have to say American Thanksgiving on this podcast? Is that just a the athletic hockey show pod that we where you are, are Canadians listening to us? Can we just make fun of Canadian Thanksgiving here? Is that allowed? I don't know. Um- <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually read somewhere that Canadian Thanksgiving is older than ours, so maybe I should just shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, but I, I mean, teams to defy that occasionally, and we've seen the Blackhawks be out of it in recent years and then battle back. And then it's, you know, one game here or there where they're, you know, within a few points and then, you know, like the season's gone the wrong way, but I mean, you look at it now, they're, they're in seventh in the, in the central with 16 points. And 
Um, you know, Dallas hasn't been great and in, in Nashville and even Colorado obviously hasn't kind of lived up to expectations where you put together some wins, you're, you're you're a lot closer than you than you think, and but the it has to happen sooner or later, and 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 it, I guess the I, I you know as we wrote the piece today about uh, roster projection, and you know I, like I've seen people just getting so angry over the last few days, like I, I don't know what like something's boiled tens, over, like it's tense times in the Blackhawks, yeah, years. like it was you know like it was fire Colt, and now it's like well Jonathan Taves is not a top six center, and Kuba League needs to sit, and um. Yeah, Taves, and you know, I, like I've seen a lot of Doc hate lately, and it's just I, there's no one else in the system. Like, there's no one else to replace these guys. You know, like it's one that's it, and two, it's um, yeah, I don't know. Just it feel like like the other day, like yeah, the other triggers for people was Boquist. Like I brought up Boquist stats the other day, and people just went crazy. Or or if I mentioned that Gustafson's playing play, playing well, that seems to drive. He people is. Nuts he too. is playing well. Yeah, I don't. It's there. There's certain triggers right now where I just yeah, I feel like the fan base is just really on edge. Um. And, and certainly, I you know, talk, you know, you need Taves and Doc to produce, and, and they're not wrong. There is just the idea that to sit Taves or that he isn't a top six center when you look at everything else he brings to the table. And um, yeah, sure, you need him to produce and you, you need you need him to be good, but it's, I don't know, he's been gone for a year. Like he's he's been other, you know, like the, the analytics are decent. And I'll, I'll um, say this about Jonathan Taves. I mean, nobody expected him to be without a goal in 20 games. For sure, yeah. But he has been. A, better, B, far more durable, C, just an all-around presence that I wasn't expecting him to be. I didn't think there was any chance. I don't think he should have played 20 games. I think, frankly, he might benefit from a night off here and there. This is a hard season. It's a hard schedule, and he's coming off a year off with major health issues. Uh, Maybe it would be a little different if he got a night off here and there, but the fact that he's playing the kind of minutes he's playing, the heavy minutes, he's on the PK, he's on the power play, he's basically doing everything Jonathan Taves has always done, maybe just a couple fewer minutes because he's not the number one center, he's the number two center now. Uh, It's been remarkable and far more than I anticipated him doing this year. And I guess, I guess that kind of circles the point that I was trying to get eventually is that there isn't much like to replace these guys. Like Taves sitting right now would be, yeah, I, I think you'd see a massive drop off, you know, like um, especially them moving on from Gaudet. And they obviously, uh, I think some of it, you know, like we, we saw Colleton's decisions with lines and players. Um, e- either this is now being driven by Mark Crawford a little bit, or it's being driven organizationally where they love Reese Johnson. They love Hardman. Um, you know, like it was an organization decision to put Gaudet on waivers. Like it, they wasn't like, let's try him in the top six, you know, let's, let's put him with some really good offensive players. They're like, no, let's, let's put him on waivers and, you know, maybe we get him through, um, you know, it's, it's sitting Strom again. Like they, um, and, and doing that piece that again, I guess, I guess this other point was, you know, doing that piece today about the roster projection is that there, there isn't much coming that they, I think there's a, that they understand they need Morgstrom to be really good. They need some of these guys to really pan out because, it, it's going to be difficult for them to, to rebuild again without, you know, the first round draft pick, but also what's in the, you know, within the prospect pipeline, at least especially with forwards, that you need some of these guys to really to work. And, and I feel like they, you know, them giving Borgstrom an op- opportunity to play with Kubalik or, you know, continuing to play Hardman or Reese Johnson, all these guys. Like, I, I think some of these are long term decisions where, um, like it would have made sense to sit down Taze for a game and give Godet an opportunity or yep. give, give a Stroma chance there. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it feels like these are very forward-thinking decisions too, where they're not—they're not as much made about you know the the current moments. Well, I think the previous regime was not really forward-thinking all that much anymore. You get you reach a certain point as a general manager where things are getting dire, where you start 
you stop, you start sacrificing the future for the present because you have to manage for your job, right? You have to start thinking about this year because if we suck this year, it doesn't matter what I do in three years because I'm not going to be here anymore. And that's how GMs think. GMs that have long-term security think long-term. Stan Bowman did that for years uh, early on. You know, he, he, he was sacrificed first-round picks, but it was for certain reasons, and he wasn't worried about that because he was still going to be here. People think about their job status when they make these decisions, and I think that the 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 uh, abortion of the the of the rebuild this summer the abrupt just shift in tone had something to do with the fact that there was pressure for them to win immediately and this is what happens when you have a gm on the hot seat when you have a coach on the hot seat is you start worrying only about the now and not the future and now you've got Kyle Davidson or whoever's in that seat in the long term in a really difficult position i mean you think about what was it 2017 2018 they drafted nothing but defensemen in the first and second rounds right and two of them are gone and two of them aren't really panning out. Ian Mitchell and Nicholas Bodan right now, the organization's not really that high on them. They're, they're like the number eight, nine, ten guys. They're thinking more highly of guys that are the next wave, the Alex Vlasics, the Del Mastros, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Wyatt Kaiser. Guys like that are what they're thinking of now. So you you spent two years not building up your forward core and getting nothing out of it on the back end either. So now you have kind of the cupboard's kind of bare on the defensive side, but it's really bare on the forward side because you haven't drafted any forwards. Yeah. So you got Kirby Doc, who fell into your lap. Don't imagine how bad things would be if they were picking 12th that year. And then you give up your first round pick this year so you don't get a Cole Sillinger type who's just tearing it up in Columbus already. And this is where you're at. And they're not going to have a number one draft pick next year because they're probably not going to win the lottery. They're not going to be the worst or the second worst team in the league. And even if they were, they'd have about a 50% chance of getting one of those top two picks. So they almost certainly don't have a number one draft pick next year. I mean, they're pretty good, well, and screwed when you look at this lineup because Henrik Borgstrom doesn't look like that guy. He looks like a guy who's just on a fringe and is something, he's got some talent there and he's got some size, but you could see why he ended up in Europe and didn't pan out in Florida. You could say that about all these Strom. It's not happening. You know, I, there are things that I see in him and others see in him that, that the Blackhawks don't, but every opportunity he's gotten, and he has gotten opportunities under Derek King that he didn't get under Jeremy Colleton, he hasn't made the most of. Even when he's played well, he's not producing goals. He's not getting assists. He has to do that when you're on the fringe. So there's not a lot of hope right now. And I think you're seeing that reflected in the fan base. Good Lord, the comments to start off our uh, our uh, our piece today on the projections was just, uh, it was it could just be a general wailing and gnashing of teeth because help is not on the way. It's only, it might get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And, and the problem is that if, if Kubalik like if he if he'd been continued to be a 20 30 goal scorer and, and and maybe things turn around this season but it's it's like it's like that could have been a piece you build around you know like that and i think that's the biggest problem too is that like if if strom and kubelik had stayed consistent and and it showed you you know like if they could reach that the peak you know that their potential that we've seen at times and like then you have pieces to build around but you're talking about strom who once was considered you know like a future top six center and now uh, like he's probably out of the organization after the season. And Kubalik might be the same case too, where you, you know, yeah, like the team's not that high on Kubalik. They really, they really never have been. He just scored so many goals, and they're like, all right, we'll stick with them. But like, they've never really been married to him as a player. Yeah, and, that, and that's, and I, I think that's a struggle too, is that they've they found a few players that probably fit the mold. That at least it, it's worked for them. You know, like Kubalik was a really good goal scorer, and now if Kubalik and Strom are going to pan out, and Nylander. Um, you know, it certainly doesn't seem like he's going to, like, there's no reason why that, you know, Davidson has to be married to Nylander either. Like, they're just, there are too many guys that you either traded for, you know, like you, you traded your first round pick, whoever you took for, or guys who just haven't panned out that you probably slotted in as projected pieces of the future. And, and you're, you're left with not many. Like, it's, um, you know, when I was looking through the prospects for the 
the, the, our projection piece, it's like, well, there's Colton Doc, who who may or may not be, you know, like he's got some goal scoring ability, but he's not like he's tearing it up. Like he has a chance. You, all, of, you also wonder if that was a pick that, they, 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 that you know, when you, whenever you pick someone's brother in the organization, sure, yeah. it's like, was that a good use of the pick or are they doing a sentimental thing here? Yeah, and it's interesting because they, they – they they devoted so much to drafting the small like there was a there was a mindset that we need to draft small and skilled defensemen that's the way the game's going and then three years later they decided the game's not going that way and then they started drafting large defensemen but also using, but also using early draft picks you know using a second rounder in Velasic a first rounder in Nolan Allen um, soon they're gonna have like twenty guys in Rockford like you just look at you know you, you already have Galvis and Phillips and Bodan and Mitchell there and, and then you know Velasic's gonna sign and, and Kaiser probably signs and Del Mastro and Noah Allen are both have to be there within two years because they're both in the in the CHL so like it just it, you know and there's only so many of those guys that have offensive potential like it, it's nice to have those defensive defensemen but you need guys who can you know push the pace and and I think you've You've seen that a little bit this year, too, where the Blackhawks have struggled. And I think you've seen it with McCabe and Murphy, who've struggled to get out of their own defensive zone at times, or they're just not getting the puck off the ice. Or, um, you know, I, I think, and and this other thing is that, you know, I tweeted about Boquist the other day. People are like, oh, you can't you can't just compare this, you know, him against Jones. And it's not fair because Jones is the number one defenseman. But the, the trade is so much bigger than that. And this is nothing against Sense Jones because I think he's been okay. He's probably... Uh, you know, he's probably not worth his, his cap, especially next season. But it, it is the fact that it's Sillinger and, and it's Boquist who could, you know, use correctly. Just wait the way Gustafson used correctly. They're they're, they're good offensive defensemen. Uh, and then it's just the draft pick next year. Like, if if Bowman had been fired and not made that Jones trade, Kyle Davidson would be in a pretty good spot, you know? Like, um, you could maybe have got Seth Jones in a different way, but it just it puts – it puts them so far behind the eight ball of what they can do if this is a, you know, a lost season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, yeah, I mean, for years, we talked about the uh, the lack of, of, of real prospects and, and the, the shallowness of the prospect pool almost like a joke because they were on top of the league and who cared and they were trading their number one drift draft pick every year for you know to get Antoine Vermette to get Andrew Ladd to get all these guys and it didn't matter because you were winning but now we're five years out from or six years out almost from uh the last time they were they were relevant that they were in that position and it hasn't really gotten any better I mean, there's just not a lot of – there's not a lot – they're very high in Lucas Reichel. We don't know what his injury situation is. We'll find out more about that tomorrow. But that's basically it. He's the only real game potential – potential, I should say – game breaker that they have in the entire system 
on the front end or the back end. There's no Kale McCarr coming. There's no Nathan McKinnon coming. There's no savior that's going to come and completely revitalize this organization. No one of that level, unless they somehow fall into the number one or the number two draft pick next year. And that's, again, the odds are against them. Yeah. Part of it is they don't have a lot of goal scorers in the pool either. You know, like you, they've drafted guys for a while. And I feel like, you know, you'd, you'd have some prospects that came through and, um, you know, guys that would click and, you know, other third or fourth rounders and even like guys like Tyler Mott and, and Hayden, you know, like they're not world beaters, but they're, they're NHL players. Um, you know, and you know, they're going to have hundred, you know, hundred plus games and got like, they've missed now on like Jake Wise and Nordgrim and some of that's, you know, like it's not the Blackhawks doing, they got into injuries, but there's a lot of guys like that as of late where, um, you know, like there, there's a number of draft classes, you know, Graham Knotts, uh, you know, when you, you didn't have a first round pick that year, but for not, not to pan out, um, like that, that just, it really hurts your talent pool and not to hit on a third, a third round pick like Wise or Nordgren. Um, you know, whether it's out of your control or not, it just, it really depletes what, what you can do and even have guys come in as be role players or have a certain role. And there's just, there's not, even in Rockford now, like they're Alti Barmakian and, and Barrett and uh, Josiah Slav and they're, they're all, yeah, they're, 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 they're all bottom six guys. They're potential, they're potential bottom NHLs six. that, yeah, you just, you need. Yeah, they need and, and like Hagel's a fine for them, you know, for like if they can find players like that who they can, um, you know, either sign as under overagers in, in, in Canada or sign more international players. I mean, those are harder to come by, but college players. I mean, that's that's their only route because yeah, the college I mean, players are just it's so rare. Like the, it just right. but it, but they, they've obviously hit with with Suter. And are you and implying Kubelik that and, Drew LeBlanc and Matt Carey are not the game changers we were led to believe they would be? <laughs> <laughs> I look, they, they, they and let's not forget that, you know, two years from now, they're likely to have Patrick Kane at some kind of $10 million salary, Seth Jones at $9.5 million, Alex Dabrinkit is probably going to be 9 to $10 million right now. So you're going to have three guys at that level. And it's been, you know, we've still yet to see a team in the NHL really do it with that kind of cap load. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning had some cap maneuverings going on with the LTIR, and they have lower salary guys because there's no taxes there. You know, look at the Maple Leafs. They've got like 75 guys making $11 million, and they haven't gotten out of the first round. So not only are the Blackhawks going to be short on talent, they're going to be very heavy at the top in terms of salary, which leaves them desperately clinging to entry-level contracts, which comes from rookies, Europeans, college guys. They're going to need... Guys like Dominic Kubelik coming in, scoring 30 goals on a $925,000 contract. That's the only way to succeed when you have so much money tied up in just a few guys because the cap, if it goes up, is going to go up maybe a million dollars by then. So they're going to be really, really, really up against the cap and not well positioned. It's a scary place to be. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, doing that piece that really kind of brought that home about even like even having some money next offseason, like where do you go spend it? Like you usually you overpay and, you know, UFAs and stuff. So, like, I think that's a challenge, too, is not uh, not not just to spend money to spend it because you need to bring in the right players. And, um, you know, even when I was walking around the United Center last night, my other thought was that. Like, it makes sense in some ways, though, we'll step away from Kane and Taze for, you know, like an assortment of reasons. Part of it's like you may just need to go through another rebuild, but. Part of this has to, there has to be a business aspect, oh, of this, yeah. right? Like uh, every jersey is still Kane and Taves, you know. Like the, the you see every like there's still hosts out there, and I see some Bobby Halls, like, but it's still Kane and Taves wherever you walk. Um, and it's not like the Brinkett, you know, like the Brinkett's been a really nice player, but I, I there, there hasn't much. I think winning brings such a markability to you know, like it, like there's such a successful, you know, like Sharps and Jarmelsons and you know Keats and Seabrooks, like there's just. 
you know, being a part of a winner, I think, helps to be, you know, makes you more marketable and sell jerseys like that. But without a Kane and Taves, like the organization just changes completely from from a business aspect and just who's plastered everywhere in the, in that building. And um, so I wonder how much that's going to come into play. Like if you know the team. Like it, it's going to be a bit longer and certainly you need those guys to agree to another contract and some of it may have to be financially driven, but like they are such a large pass the portion of what they do business wise and why yeah. people still come to that building. Yeah. And I, I did that story last week on, on what the, all the ops, all the possibilities with Taves and Kane and, you know, everything changed obviously with the Kyle beach thing. I think, you know, people get mad at us for bringing this up a lot, but it's very much on the front of everyone's mind in the organization. Some fans might've already moved on. I assure you the team is not, it's very important to them. And there isn't, there is this inclination to kind of purge itself of anyone that was affiliated with that 2010 team. Now that's not going to happen completely because there are still people that, you know, the equipment staff and the, you know, people that work on the, uh, on the periphery of things and people in the front office still. So th- th- that's not going to happen completely, but Taves and Kane are obviously very public figures in that regard. So that plays into it, but I agree with you. I think they have a hard time moving on from both of them at the same time. I think that's unlikely. I don't, and you know, I talked to a few people about Kane and they all said the same thing. Like it, it matters. Kane's a legacy guy. It matters to mm-hmm. him, his legacy. And he wants to be one of those, you know, played for the same team as Hulker, broke every record the Blackhawks had. He wants to have his name at the top of the record book. He wants to pass Makita and Hull and all that stuff. That matters. And and that's good. You that, that That's not a knock on him. You want someone who who doesn't want to become some kind of cup mercenary. That's that's the luxury the Blackhawks have had in that, the, that Kane and Taves have had. They won early in their careers and they won a few times. So there's less urgency to go chase a cup somewhere else. This isn't a Ray Bork situation. They might want to just stay forever because they love Chicago and they love the Blackhawks. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's what you want out of your pro athletes if you're a fan. But it does hamstring what they're able to do. And, you know, let's get into, we have a couple of questions here. And Mm -hmm. we had one uh, from David Tuckman who who emailed us at lazenpowers at gmail.com. And this is relevant. He said, is it realistic to assume that next season may be Jonathan Taves' last ever in the NHL. I think it's pretty clear that last season with COVID, it changed him, and it seems that this is something he is seriously considered. Also, considering that the Blackhawks look likely to restart the building process, does he want to be a part of that? Now, there's a lot of qualifiers in that question. Realistic to assume, maybe Taves' last. I, I, I think it's fair to wonder if Jonathan Taves just says, you know what, I've done everything you could do in this, in, in this league. Uh, I've had a great career. I'm 35. He'll be 35 when this contract runs up. It's possible that he might step away from the game. Um, I don't expect him to, though. I mean, this is a guy who lives and breathes hockey and uh, and has for a long time. I know that the year off changed him in a lot of ways, some for better, some maybe not for better, um, in, in, in just the way he, he, perce- is, he perceives hockey and everything like that. But you could see how pissed he is these last couple of weeks because the, the not scoring is weighing on him. This Early on, I, I kind of thought like, wow, this is a guy whose perspective has changed. He's he's not sweating the small stuff anymore. He realizes how fortunate he is to be in the NHL. And I think all of that is still true and positive, but it's weighing on him now. The old Jonathan Taves is starting to creep back in there where he's like, you know, probably taking this home with him and growling a lot. Well, it's the 21 mirror. games, you know? Like, yeah. It, it, like, and, I think it would get it, to anyone at this right. point, you know? Like, and so he still, he still has that fire in him. And I think that's starting to come out a little more and more often. I don't think this is a guy who wants to retire on a down note either. I think he... he he feels he has something to prove to go up there and, and show that he can still be a good player in the, in the NHL. Might he retire at the end of next season? Sure. Absolutely. Distinct possibility. Do I expect it to happen? No, I don't think it does. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's it's 
I, I think his own play is going to dictate some of it too. You know, like if he's playing well and everything's going right, then you want to stick around. If if you're not, it, I think that it's going to make it a lot harder because I, I think he's also realistic about it too. Like I, 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 he'll play until he can. But if it's not, if it, if, I mean, it, this is the type of season, especially if he kind of, you know, like he, he will score some goals. But if it's not a fun season, if they're not winning and. Um, yeah, I don't know how much he, he can, you know, like how much do you want to do that anymore? Like right. that just, it's not, but, but you can, you can leave Chicago and not retire. I think that's, that's the possibility that have been opened up by the way the last couple of years have played out is I could see both Kane and Taves. I, I know I just said that Kane wouldn't, but he could say that, you know what? Fresh start somewhere else. Let me see what I can do. My hometown of Winnipeg, Buffalo, something like that. Yeah. And maybe there's less, maybe there's like being Jonathan Taves in Chicago, there's a lot of responsibility, you know, like there's a lot of people looking at you for certain things and maybe he doesn't want that anymore either. Like it's, it, it had to be harder to still, you know, you know, when he was asked before the season, like uh, you're coming in, you know, missing a year and you're expected to be a leader of a team that you, you don't really know, right? You know? Like yeah. th- there's some challenges in that too. So I, I wonder if, you know, if that could play into it. Well, we, too. we, like, we, we used- we used to talk about Marion Hossa we, before we knew about the skin condition. We'd be like, oh, man, when he's like 39, 40 years old, he's going to be the greatest third-line winger in the history of third-line wingers. Just bum-slaying and just killing guys. going to be awesome. I can still see that with Jonathan Taves. If Jonathan Taves ever becomes, you know what, I accept the fact that this is what I am now. And when I'm 35, 36 years old, I just want to be a third-line checking center. I'm not going to worry about the points. I'm just going to just defend my ass off, kill penalties. I mean, what an asset a guy like that could be to a contending team, like a team like Vegas or Colorado that might still be trying to get over the hump. If you could just slot him in in the third-line center, play him 15 hard minutes a night and on the PK, and he chips in with depth scoring, I mean, that he'd be a monster in that role should he choose to accept it. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, I don't have the questions up here. Do you have? Them? Yeah, I got one. Uh, Hockey Life asks: Ignoring the PR nightmare, could it be? Could it make sense for the Hawks to make a trade uh, in clear space to pick up Evander Kane from waivers since we need scoring bad? Yeah, no, no. In, in another season, maybe, but the Blackhawks aren't doing PR nightmares this year. They've had more than their share of PR nightmares, <laughs> and you will never see them make a signing like that for years now to come. It's going to be a long time before they have the political capital so to speak to make a signing like that so no that's not going to happen no um dan novak asks or novak i don't know this is chicago it's probably novak uh what's the biggest difference you have noticed since the coaching change attitude body language vibe it's vibe vibes the word right i mean that's you know not to steal sarah sivian's chick but you know the vibe check right now is the blackhawks are a much looser team than they were under Colleton. I mean, man, things were really bad those last couple of weeks under Colleton between the off-ice stuff with the Kyle Beach stuff and the Jenner and Block report combined with all the losing. That was the tensest team I've ever seen in my life. And Derek King just, you know, I don't know what kind of tactician he is just yet, but he came in and he just just chilled everybody out, which is what they needed at that time. And I think that's a lot why they're playing better. That's a lot why they're more buying into a more defensive. They're just happier to be here now. They're having more fun at practices. Um, it, it, it's a vibe. Derek King is a human vibe. And I think it's a, it's, it's been a positive for the Blackhawks. Yeah. And I, I know we have some questions about the, the tactician stuff too. And it, it, you know, he has made adjustments to the neutral zone and, and they, they've worked on some of the defensive zone stuff and, uh, some of the principles of what Colleton w- was coaching and, you know, like the system is in a lot of ways, it's still the same, um, and you can see defensively, they definitely and, and it helps the goaltending's really improved. I mean, Flurry's oh, yeah. been outstanding since since King took over. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look at Calgary. Is Calgary as good as they are, or are they just getting 965 goaltending all season long? Goaltending makes a big difference in this sport. Yeah, for sure. And Lankinen's been better his last two starts, too. So I, I think I, – I feel like King and, and you know, obviously Mark Crawford needs some of this credit, too, but they, they've been willing to adjust. You know, like they haven't been as married to some of what Colleton was, was doing. And, and, and Colleton probably needed to adjust it, too, but I think he also – you know, like he was making adjustments at the time, but I also felt like – like he was, he believed so much in his own way, you know, and, and not that King and, you know, Crawford have changed or altered a whole lot, but they, they've, they've looked at what's not working and how do we address it? You know, like they early on King saw that they, other teams were getting through the neutral zone way too easy. And, and the way that they were setting up, like it shouldn't have been that easy. So like they, they've, they've worked on that and, you know, and some of the, you know, way they're defending the slot and, um, and, and it's still not perfect. Like yesterday in the second period, San Jose got a lot of great chances and Fleury saved the day. And, um, like, yeah, there's like, even in that St. Louis game, like there were some really bad turnovers where that game could have gone a different way. Like the Blackhawks aren't playing perfect. And, and King said that too, you know, he knows that this isn't, um, you know, like it's not a quick fix and, and there's only, they're trying to figure out lines too. I thought the lines last night made a lot more sense. You know, the fourth line got, got buried, but the other lines like Borgstrom's analytics and like they're driving possession. They need to figure out a way to score. And just as that whole team does, but I, I thought the lines were a little bit more, a little bit more balanced. And we'll see when, whenever Tyler Johnson gets, gets back. Cause I think, you know, I think Kara, you know, further down your lineup makes even more sense. It makes you a better you know, your, your bottom six better, but I, I thought the lines made a lot more sense last night. I, I know he's adjusting. He's trying different things. And I, and I think that's the key. Like they played Gustafson in six minutes when he first started. Like it yeah. was like, it's either, you know, our way or the, the highway. And, 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 you know, I Gustafson talked yesterday about how, you know, him and Crawford had some real serious talks about how he needs to play. And, um, yeah. And, and, and people don't want to accept it, but he's, he's been really good lately. Like his analytics are really good. Like he's not been on the ice he still makes, you know, the dumb mistake occasionally, and usually it's because of pinching and not having someone protect him. Like last night, he he, he got called for hooking because he, he was trailing in the play because of that. But more often than not, like it's been better. So, um, yeah, I, I I think Kings made adjustments, and we'll see as they go along here. It's only been been nine games. You don't. I think the one thing you, they learned from Colleton too is that you don't want to put too much on these guys' plate. Like the season's going on. Yeah. Like you've put in all the training cap. You've played all these games. Like. To alter a system overnight is just it's asking for trouble. Well, what's interesting is you know uh, by by you know just the way that uh, the Blackhawks and just about every team run things, the IceHogs play the same system as the Blackhawks for the most mm-hmm. part. Like fundamentally, you know, uh, you know, philosophically they play the same way. But in the AHL, it's much more of a dump and chase league because it's just yeah. less skilled, and that's kind of what Derek King has brought here. They're playing Jeremy Colleton's system, but much more conservatively. And I think that's why you're seeing success. They are dumping and chasing. He mentioned this, and I think we were in uh, Calgary. He says, you know, you might have to dump the puck 50 times in a row before you get uh, a chance. It's going to be boring. You have to be willing to be bored as a player. And I know fans don't want to hear that. Nobody wants their team to be the 1994 Devils, but they, you know, they won the Stanley Cup, so it's not so bad. Um, It's more like a Minnesota Wild team from the the late 2010s. That's not what you want to be, but that's kind of where they're at, and that's what they're doing. They're playing Jeremy Carlton's system, with an AHL mindset of just get the puck deep, go get it, and see what happens. They're clogging up the neutral zone. They're slow. They're sagging back in the defensive zone. They're 
They're letting the defenseman guard the net, which is one thing that drove fans nuts was defensemen chasing the puck into the corners. And Jake McCabe talked about this a bunch. And, you know, he's sending centers now. The center gets back first, and they're the ones that go into the corner because defensemen are better at clearing out the, the net front than centers are. It seems like a fundamental, obvious thing, but that's not what they were doing under Jeremy Calder, who, like you said, was a little too rigid and didn't want to adjust really in any way. So I don't think we're not going to see wholesale changes under Derek King. He's an interim coach. He's probably unlikely to be the long-term coach. That could change if he could prove himself over here. But right now he's a stopgap. And that means they're going to wait until they have a new coach and a full training camp to really fundamentally change the way they play hockey. So what you're seeing is Jeremy Carlton just with AHL style, which is, frankly, there's a lot of AHL-level talent on this team. So it doesn't, it makes sense. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The, the one thing I did notice, at least from the, the Sport Logic stats that I get the last few games, where the controlled entry success has been higher, where, where it, and maybe it's having more balance throughout, you know, the lineup where you have a little bit more offensive skill. Like the, those rights have been higher, where it was under fifty percent, you know, which is really low. And like last game, it was fifty-seven point six, um, and they had eighty-seven controlled entries to San Jose's fifty-six. You know, like that, like that's pretty su- substantial. Um, so I, I wonder too, if like, if your balance can out where Borgstrom's playing with Kubalik and, you know, if, uh, even the Kane and Debrinkit having them on different lines, like, I think it allows you to enter the zone a little bit differently. And, and that's the one risk you take, you know, like, I guess the upside of breaking up Kane and Debrinkit where they've been such your offensive driving force is that you, maybe you get more balance and, you know, like they need to figure out if it balances in the scoring, but, um, it, it, it allows them to maybe do entries and, and maybe not to dump and chase as much. And, um, but, um, yeah, I, mean, I just, I was looking through the number like last night's was inter- like really interesting stat from last night was that we get the offenses possession time, uh, and includes, includes power play. So it, it usually can be a little, there can be a difference depending on how many power plays there are, but the Blackhawks didn't have a lot of power plays last night, but they still had it. Their offensive zone possession time last night was eight minutes and 14 seconds compared to San Jose's four minutes and four seconds. Like it was such a lopsided game in, in so many ways. And um, yeah, I, I, th- there are a lot of things that like the Blackhawks, they just need to figure out ways to convert that into scoring. So I, I you know, I, I think there are some positives from last night to take, or I mean, maybe they can get some more uh, production based on that, but um, what else? What else we got? Uh, let's go to Brady. Let's. Uh, we got. What is your favorite Canadian city to visit for a Blackhawks game? I'm going to my first game of the year in Montreal next week, and I can't wait. I can't wait either. I love Montreal. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, I when I, my first couple of years in the beat, I would judge every city based on like what to do tourism wise. Now it's just who's got the restaurants and the bars I like. And I haven't <laughs> been to Montreal in a few years. You, you've taken that game the last couple of years. We were supposed to have the draft there last year. That obviously got yeah. uh, made virtual, which is a huge bummer. Looking forward to this year. We can get the whole gang together. Um, I love Montreal. Um, everyone loves Montreal. It's kind of cliche. I love Toronto. It's like basically just the Canadian Chicago. So it, it, it's, 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 it's a big city feel right on the lake. Uh, I love going to Winnipeg. 
I don't know, but like we, we can never get to Winnipeg because of COVID. There's like no way to get to Winnipeg anymore. You just like there's no airplanes that go to Winnipeg anymore. Apparently, that whole thing about them not having an airport maybe that's true now. It's like a whole thing. But I love going to games in Winnipeg. That's one of my favorite atmospheres. Uh, Vancouver's fantastic. We never get any time in there. This last trip yeah. had about 17 hours in Vancouver. It, it uh, all depends on what time of year too. It's like I, I like. Oh, I, love I, just, Mont- I just assume it's going to be cold. I don't care. It's I fine. know, but it's just like being in like Montreal, like in climbing hills and stuff when it's all snow like i just i've had some montreal <laughs> moments where they're just like well you know like you're just you're going through like, I, I remember the hotel was just like the i don't know if they didn't shovel the street over but just walking down you know like three feet high and just you know like it just it all it all depends on how what the snow factor is and um yeah, for, yeah I, it snowed I, I in Edmonton Toronto. last week. We, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's funny. I, I see my Facebook memories, and this entire month I was in Western Canada every year <laughs> for because it's always the circus trip. And even the last few years, just just last week, I was in Western Canada. Just if it's mid November, I'm in Western Canada, and there was already snow on the ground in Edmonton. And you know, I never minded. Like, like I feel like that's I'm in Canada. It should be snowing. And so what's your uh, favorite U.S. city? Oh God. Uh, well, I love going to New York. I'm a native New yeah. Yorker. I'm going there this week. I'm excited for that. But besides yeah. the obvious, I, I. I Probably Los Angeles. I just yeah. love being in Southern California. I love staying in Manhattan Beach. I love renting a bike and going up and down the Strand. I just, I, I, I love the vibe in LA. I'll never be able to afford to live there, so I love visiting there. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, honestly, there there are very few cities that I don't like going to. I like going everywhere. I, I I like going to Newark. I like going to Winnipeg. All the ones that people have on their no trade clauses, I'm still excited to go to all of them. There's there's something to do everywhere. Yeah, it's I I had never been to LA in my life before joining the speed and then, like that was like that was such a big deal to me. Like I I will never forget that first trip to LA. Like I, I went to the museums and just you know having the window down in in whatever winter month it was. It was just yeah, it was um, I'll tell you being back on the road like 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 nine nights away from home. That's a long time to be away from yeah. home. And I've got five nights coming up this week, and then four nights next week. I, man, I missed Thank you, it. By the way. No, hey, I have, I'm happy. I, I've, I've always told you my dream is to do this job just on the road and have someone else take all the home games. That's the vibe we've got this month. It's great, but uh, I just missed being on the road, and that, that that's no knock on my family. I love my family. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but like it's just nice. I, I like being in hotels. I like being on planes. I, I the the you know being in the airport never bothers me. I like just eating out every meal. I like just walking around cities. I don't care what the weather is. Going to Seattle was awesome. I got to be a tourist for the first time in forever. You know, two years of being stuck at home when my whole life was travel for you know, what eight years, whatever it was. I just missed all of it. Like every aspect of it. Like I had no, there was no point of that trip where it's like, God damn it. Why am I here? Like, it's just sometimes yeah. how you get. And uh, it's just, it's just so great to be on the road again. I, it's such a, it's become such a big part of my life that I just, I just miss it. And I just found out today I'm, st- I'm going to get back to United Platinum next year for the first time. Oh, in four years. Awesome. They lowered the bar so low because of COVID. And I traveled so much this little bit here that I'm going to get there. And I'm very excited nice. to no longer bear the burden of being a, a lowly gold member. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I know there's a question I saw about Kyle Davidson and how he's done, uh, when they, whether, uh, this is from James Schwartz and how would you rate Kyle Davidson's performance? Will the top candidates all be gone by the time the Hawks get around replacing Stan Bowman? Yeah, Jeff Gordon Should went they, to Montreal. That was uh, one of the candidates on our list. Everything that I've, I've heard is that Kyle Davidson is being kept in the loop with a lot of, you know, like what a lot of that Danny Wirtz and, and Jamie Faulkner are doing. So like, I feel like he's whether he's the president of hockey ops or the GM, like I, I think he's going to have a large role regardless. Like they don't, you don't put someone in this position and keep them as, as much in loop as he's been or allow him to make these type of decisions without foreseeing him having, uh, you know, some large role in the, in the organization. So um, 
I, I wrote about this last week. I, I do think that they need to make a decision before the end of the season. Like you need to either you need to fully give Davidson it or, or, or hire someone to the president of hockey ops. And I, and I get some of it is, is challenging because it is in season. Um, but to give someone an opportunity to, uh, yeah, just to have time with the kind of determine where the where the organization is going or have time with with Kyle Davidson to get to know him or 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 you know or or allow Davidson the power to uh, make some you know like there are decisions ahead after this offseason and, and you know part of it's the Kane and Taves contracts but there's a lot of decisions that will affect you for for the next five plus years so um well it's so hard to evaluate a GI like if you're coaching for your job you see the impact right away. Like you can For see sure, the, oh, yeah. things have turned around. This coach is this coach is really connecting. GMs like the moves they make, you might not bear fruit or 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 the opposite for years to come. So how does someone GM for their job? I mean, this is basically an audition for Kyle Davidson. He fired the coach. Everyone kind of agreed that was the right yeah. decision. Well, you don't want you don't want like you don't want someone GM to figure the right. job. Right, this is what like, I'm saying. Like yeah. you just yeah, like you just you don't want someone making those decisions trying to prove themselves. Like you right. want. That that that's that's what that's why we're in this mess to begin with, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I and that's why I think, yeah, I, I think, and, and maybe it's getting through the negotiations with Kyle Beach that they can, and not like I, I know that like that's the priority, but I like I don't feel like that's taking up every minute of the day, you know? Like it's they sort of have to wait until the next meeting with the mediator, and um, you know, I've in and Montreal's moving at a different pace with with their hiring and firing. Um, and I know that a lot of it's the Blackhawks want to get the right person for for many reasons, you know, like they want to get the right hockey person, but they also want to get the right person who who aligns with their values and where they want the organization to be and not the uh, and not to fall back into what happened, you know, with them. So I, I, got, I know there's a lot more that's going into it than maybe other places, but um, it, it does feel like at some point before the end of the season, the Blackhawks probably need to to have some of that squared away just so that they can move forward hockey wise and, and kind of figure out where. Um, you know, it's a it's going to be a difficult path for who it is, whoever it's going to be. But it, yeah, it probably needs to be determined sooner than later. All right, let's wrap up with a quick prospect corner. Uh, and, I don't know if it's Andrew Nolan or Nolan Andrew, but he asks, which prospects do you see going to the World Juniors next month? Will Reichel go if healthy? Yeah, I think Reichel goes if he's healthy. Uh, Drew Camaso and uh, Slaggart, uh, Slaggart will go for the U.S. Uh Colton Dock, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I think Colton Dock for potentially for Canada. Um, so yeah, well, uh, yeah, there'll be a handful. Of, a, there'll be a handful of guys worth watching. Yeah, they, yeah. Reichel could be going to the Olympics too, right? Yeah, no, I think yeah, yeah, Reichel Olympics. But yeah, they, I mean, they'll have a lot of. Oh yeah, I'll just say, I don't. I was trying to think who else is still under twenty. Um, and Nolan Allen from uh, should play for Canada. Um, so yeah, they'll have a handful of guys, and you know maybe they'll try to try to do something a little bit closer to this, see who's uh, who's in that mix. Because last year they were Vlasic was supposed to go, and then he ended up with COVID, and Camaso was supposed to go, and uh, Reichel had COVID last year too, so they they didn't have as many guys there last season that they expected. But they they should have a handful for some of those top teams. All right, special shout out to all our new subscribers who hopped on our Black Friday deal Thank this you. week. There's a lot of you, and we are, are happy to have you join the club. I hope you're pleasant in the comment section because not everybody is these days. And, <laughs> and um, uh, we got a couple more practice here in Chicago. Then I'll be heading to DC and New York. I'm always looking forward to this trip. Uh, I proposed to my wife on the uh, banks of the Tidal Basin outside the FDR Memorial. How bleeding heart, pinko, commie, liberal am I? Um, 
So I always I always walk the whole trail of the mine. It's like four or five mile walk throughout the, all the all the monuments. I love DC. Uh, I'll have coverage for you all week, and then uh, we've got lots. I propose in Central Park, so we both have. Well, there you go. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and uh, I have a couple stories coming in the next few days, and uh, we, we've obviously had a lot of stuff in over the last week, and the roster projection story today. Uh, I think yeah, it's always a fun piece to kind of like it, it was a little bit harder because there there are some questions, but it, it kind of shows you where they are cap wise and some of the prospects coming and. Um, yeah, it'll be, uh, we'll have plenty of other stuff and, and then we'll be back at, uh, I guess a week from today, potentially for another podcast and yeah, just keep on rolling. Rock on. All right. For Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers and this is Lazarus Powers. Talk to you soon. And I know that I can't fix it. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let